As a kid growing up, my parents worked at the telephone company there in our hometown, and every other Saturday, my dad was on call. So every other Saturday, as we made plans, we made plans knowing that those could change at any time. Uh, if somebody was out playing with their backhoe and they dug a little deep, my dad would get the phone call and he would have to go stand in a hole and repair cable. Sometimes people would miss a curve or swing too wide and they would take out a pedestal. And my dad would get called in on that Saturday and he would have to go and fix a pedestal. It seemed like oftentimes, maybe not as often as I remember, but once in a while, our Saturday plans would be changed. I remember my first football game. I was so excited. It was on a Saturday morning, but it was my dad's weekend to work. And he got the call just before we left for the field. He got the phone call, so he missed my first game. But that's kind of the way it just worked. That's just the way it happened sometimes. And his plans were made. We understood as kids that sometimes those plans could be changed. And we may be disappointed in the moment, but yet we understood that's just the way things were. This morning, our journey through 2 Corinthians continues. And we know that in this letter, this is Paul's most personal letter that he has written. Paul spends a lot of time defending his ministry. And as we come this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 15 through chapter 2, verse 4, this passage is no different. Paul's adversaries were accusing Paul of being unreliable. They were accusing him of being unloving and, and not caring, lacking in compassion. And Paul defends his change of plans here in this passage. And as we look at this and as we see Paul's change of plans and as we see Paul's defense of his change of plans, I think we see here a true ambassador. I think as we look at Paul and as we look at his defense, he lays out for us what a true ambassador looks like. He lays out for us what a true ambassador of Christ really is. So as we look at this passage this morning, that's my prayer, is that we would see this picture of an ambassador and desire to model and to follow that picture, that uh, plan that has been laid out for us, that example. So open your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and find verse 15. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 15. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. This says, because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on the way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have, me, have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, or no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Christ Jesus, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanius and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is that we utter our, and it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. 
and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart, and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Now, as we look at this passage this morning, there are three headings that we're going to use to kind of lead us through this passage. The first thing we see is Paul's planning. The second thing we see is Paul's proclamation. And the third thing we see is Paul's passion. Before we dive into this and begin to unpack this, let's have a word of prayer. Father, I pray this morning that you would open our hearts and our minds to what you have for us. I pray, Lord, this morning that we would hear from you. We know, Lord, there's nothing that I can share that's of any value. But, Father, what you share with us is of great value. So I pray, Lord, we would hear from you this morning. Take my mind and my heart and my tongue. Allow me to share what you'd have us to hear. Nothing more, but certainly nothing less either. And it's in your son's name we pray these things. Amen. So the first thing we see here is Paul's planning. Look with me at verse 15. It says this, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first, so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So as Paul begins to write this to the people of Corinth, he shares with them that he had a plan to visit Corinth. That was his desire. That's what he wanted to do is he wanted to go and see them. And he was hoping to minister to them. He says there in, in, in verse 15, I wish I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. Paul knew that there were things that were going on. There were things that they needed to address. There were things that they needed to work on. There was some disobedience that was going on that needed to be corrected. Paul knew all of that, and he wanted to come and minister to them in those areas. And Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Now, as we look at this, and even as Paul makes this declaration to the people of Corinth, he shares here that if the Lord permits... That's where Paul's mind was. That's where Paul's heart was. And even here in Ephesus, he's stoked that there's a wide door of effective ministry. 
You see, Paul went where God led. Paul went where God guided. He had been there to Corinth. He had talked to the people of Corinth. His desire was to come back to Corinth. But at this time, he didn't go back there. And it wasn't because of Paul, but it was because of God's guidance and of God's direction. And Paul said, when the Lord permits, I will come. Now look at verse 17. He says, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no, at the same time? Now, this word for vacillating is just a fancy word, and it means to be indecisive or to waver. The New Living Translation says this, You may be asking why I changed my plan. Do you think I make my plans carelessly? That's what Paul is asking them. These accusations were coming that, that Paul didn't care about them, that Paul was just always changing his plans. And Paul is saying, you know what? I don't change plans just to change plans. My desire was to be with you. My plans were changed, but my desire was to be with you. Paul didn't say one thing and then just do the opposite just because. That was not the way Paul did things. Paul's opponents were telling the people of Corinth that he was unreliable. But we know that Paul was spirit-filled and spirit-led. And you would think after the 18 months that he spent there in Corinth, that they would see it and they would recognize it in Paul. But yet all of these false accusers are coming in and saying, you know what, Paul just does not care. He's just unreliable. He's just unreliable. You, you, can't, you can't trust him. Paul's plans were to be there, but things had changed. Paul was reliable, but his plans had changed. Now, as they challenged Paul's planning, as they brought Paul's planning into concern, they kind of put a, a false picture of him and kind of tweaked his, his character. And if they tweaked his character, if they changed who Paul was, then they could tweak his message. And they could say, because Paul is unreliable as a person, his message is unreliable as well. And Paul goes on to show here and to declare and to clarify about Jesus, the one he's been proclaiming, that Jesus is still reliable. Regardless of the accusations, Jesus is reliable. Notice what he says in verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you, has not been yes and no. If Paul was not trustworthy, would his message be trustworthy? That was the question. But Paul brings the faithfulness of God into the equation. And he says, God is faithful. And God's faithfulness supports Paul's faithfulness. I, as a servant of Paul, am faithful just as God is is faithful. The, questions, the question of God's faithfulness could not be used. And the question of the faithfulness of God's word, as Paul spoke it, could not be questioned. There was nothing to, be sta nothing to stand on because God is faithful and God's word is faithful. Notice verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaim to you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, that's the ministry team, Silvanus, Timothy, and Paul, was not yes and no, but in him 
it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul and his team came and they preached Jesus and they preached Jesus alone. This is in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22. John, can you punch me there? Thank you. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 22 says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The message that Paul proclaimed about Christ never changed. The message that Paul proclaimed about Christ was rock solid. It was rock solid. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, Paul's argument was here. He says, was not, uh, I was not yes and no. Paul and his ministry team were not talking out of both sides of their mouths. Yes, no, yes, no. They were not. What they were proclaiming was Jesus Christ. They were not talking out of both sides of their mouth. They were proclaiming Jesus Christ. And notice what he says there. Verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Every promise that God has made, the fulfillment is in Jesus Christ. The promises that have been given to us, the fulfillment is in Christ. And notice what he says here. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God. Amen is a word that just means I'm in agreement with. That's final. That's the word, period. That's what that thought is. And he says that through him, we utter our amen. And Jesus Christ, that's the final that's the period. That's what we are in agreement with. The message was not unfaithful. The message was faithful. Now notice verse 21. It says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. Now Paul connects himself here to the believers of Corinth. Paul comes and shares with them that it's God who established us with you in Christ. That's God who has done that. That's not anything that we've developed. That's not something that we've come up with. That is God who has done that. Just as God established the Corinthian believers in Christ, he's done the same with Paul. If they deny Paul, in fact, in essence, they are denying themselves. Because Paul has that connection with God, God put that connection there, and Paul also connected the people of Corinth with Paul, with Christ. Together, they are in Christ. That is, that is what Paul is saying here. Now notice what he says in verse 22. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Paul not only uses God the Father and God the Son in his defense, but he now shares that the Holy Spirit is the one who comes in and seals us. 
It's the Holy Spirit that brings us and it's the Holy Spirit that is our guarantee that we are in Christ, that we are in God. The Holy Spirit does that. This is Ephesians 1 verse 13. It says, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Is Paul himself faithful? Yes. Is the message that Paul is proclaiming faithful? It's as faithful as God is faithful. And the Holy Spirit comes in and seals us to show us the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of this message that's been proclaimed to you. That is what Paul is saying. Ephesians 4.30 says this, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This seal of the Holy Spirit is our mark that shows that we belong to God. When we place our faith in Jesus, this mark marks us eternally secure in Christ. We belong to him. And that's the faithful message that Paul has been proclaiming to the people of Corinth. And you can take that to the bank. That's what Paul is declaring here. God is faithful. So Paul's plan is he planned to come to them. Uh, Paul shared that he, that was his plan. He shares his faithful proclamation. But in verses 23 through the first four verses of chapter 2, we see Paul's passion. And as we look at Paul's passion, we see and we catch a glimpse of the heart that Paul had for the people of Corinth. Look at verse 23. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Paul says that God is my witness. God is my witness. Paul calls on God, who is the most trustworthy of witnesses, who knows Paul inside and out. Let him be my witness. God knows everything about Paul. And Paul says, let him be my witness. Paul wanted to give them time to repent. Paul wanted to make sure that there was time for them to change their behavior. Paul wanted the things that he wrote in those first three letters that he wrote to Corinth, and that last one was pretty harsh, pretty rough. He wanted to make sure that he gave that time to set in so that their behavior could change. Otherwise, he would be coming once again and sharing corrective instruction verbally. Notice what he says in verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Paul did not lord it over the Corinthian believers. Paul didn't want to come in and break them. He was a fellow worker with them. He was concerned about their well-being. 
He wanted them to walk in obedience so they could experience joy. As they experienced joy, he would experience joy. But he wanted them to make that change. Sin in our life is a real joy killer. It is not until we remove sin from our life that we begin to experience that joy. Paul wanted them to see that. So many times, now that I'm old, turned 29, four nose miners running around the house, I would call my dad, and I so desired to tell my dad that he was right. You know, Dad, I understand. But I'd often call him and feel like the fawns, because I would call and go, Dad, you were, you were, you were, I'd hang up, you were right, Dad. <laughs> How many times my dad desired to see different behavior in me? Not because my dad was mean or abusive, but because my dad knew the difference between right and wrong. Because my dad knew how much better it was for me to walk on the right path. He knew much how much worser it was for me to walk on the wrong path. So my dad's desire was for me to walk on the right path. Sometimes there was correction that was given to make sure that I was on the right path, and there were some times where my dad just went, he's got to learn. And sometimes I did have to learn the hard way. Paul has visited them two times. One time to establish the church, one time to a corrector. He sent them three letters. We read 1 Corinthians as one of those letters. There's corrective stuff in 1 Corinthians. The letter that we don't have, the last letter that he wrote, was very much corrective. He wanted to go see them again, but he wanted them to make changes. He wanted them to be obedient. The word of God had been given to them. The corrective measures had been given to them, but he wanted to see their heart changed. He spared and he waited to go and visit them. He refrained from going to visit with them. He wanted to see them make that change, and he wanted to see that joy return to them. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 1. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? Paul had made this visit to Corinth, and it appears that it wasn't an enjoyable visit. My dad, when he corrected me at times, he would say, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I would say, you must not have the same feelings that I have then. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to sit down for a while. But you know, as I disciplined my own children, it's not an easy thing to discipline our own children. Sometimes we have to do it. Paul had made that visit. It was a painful visit to make. Paul had sent a letter. It was a painful letter to write. 
But his desire was that it would change them. He didn't want to make another one. He was hoping it would change them. Now look at verse 3. I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. The letter that Paul wrote was a letter of correction and it was not an easy one to write, but it was a necessary one to write. When Paul went to visit them and he corrected them in his visit, it was necessary for him to correct them in that visit. That letter caused great pain and Paul did not want to go again and cause great pain again. He wrote them this letter, 2 Corinthians. And in this letter, he shares with them time and time again how much he loves them, how much he cares for them. And what Paul really wanted for the people of Corinth is he wanted what was best for them. He wanted what was best for them. That was his desire. That was his heart. So as we look at this passage, we see the planning that Paul put in this. He planned, he wanted to go, and he made visits. The proclamation that he made was about Christ, and he proclaimed Christ, and Christ is as reliable today as he was then. And Paul's passion for the people of Corinth was great. So what do we take home from this? I mean, as we look at this and as we see Paul's defense what do we apply to our lives? You know, as I read this, I couldn't help but recognize that Paul's planning was open to God's plan. Paul's planning was open to God's plan. And I thought about that as an ambassador of Christ. Isn't that an important thing for Paul to have? The people of Corinth, they were upset about Paul's openness to the leading of God. But yet, as an ambassador, he should be. And you know, as we look at this book and as we see this and we think about being ambassadors of Christ ourselves, if we're to be ambassadors of Christ, we have to be open to God's plan for our lives. Whatever that plan may be, we have to be open to that plan. We have to be seeking his leading, seeking his direction so that we can follow the plan that he has for us. As we look at this and as we see Paul's proclamation here, Paul's proclamation was Christ-centered. Paul didn't proclaim the newest fad. Paul didn't proclaim things that were easy for them to palate. Paul proclaimed to them the truth of Jesus Christ. That's what he did. Now, Paul came and corrected and, and gave that correction. And then Paul stepped back and let it simmer. Let the Holy Spirit work on hearts a bit. Sometimes as 
proclaimers of Christ. We look for those opportunities to proclaim Christ. And sometimes we've got to step back and kind of let that message simmer. How many of us were saved the very first time we heard the gospel? God's word kind of came into our hearts and kind of simmered a little bit, didn't it? And then we kind of heard that and we kind of listened to that. And God opened our hearts to the truth of the gospel. Sometimes as ambassadors, we've got to pray, Lord, help me know when to speak. But help me to know when to shut up too. And Paul knew that. He knew when it was time to go and to tell. The apostle Paul also knew when it was time for the word of God to simmer, to let it rest in their hearts, to speak to their hearts. Paul's passion, no doubt, was for the people of Corinth. We see that throughout this, that Paul loved the people of Corinth. He was an ambassador for Christ. He was an ambassador to the people of Corinth. And as an ambassador, he had a great love for the people of Corinth. As ambassadors for Jesus Christ, do people see the love that we have for them? Sometimes we come in contact with people who believe opposite of us. They may be a fan of some team that we don't appreciate. They may live on the wrong side of Medina Road, north side, south side. You know, some even live on the east side. You know, sometimes we come in contact with those people. And as we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ, do they see any love in us? Do they understand the compassion that we have as ambassadors of Christ? That compassion should be something that should be visible. It should be visible in us as we come and as we proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Paul had that passion for the people of Corinth. As we look at Paul and as we look at this message that he's proclaiming to them, Paul's desire was for the people of Corinth to grow, to grow in their walk, to grow in their relationship with Christ. When we come alongside people, and we speak with people, and we visit with people, is that our concern for them? Sometimes we can be very judgmental, look down our spiritual noses at people. Man, you've got to grow up. You've got to grow up. And that might be how we come off. But are we willing to be that one who comes alongside and says, hey, you know what? Let's grow in this. Let's grow together in this. It's too often we, we forget that compassion. We forget that concern. Sometimes when my dad came and shared things with me, failed to see that he just desired for me to grow up. That was really his heart's desire, was that I would grow up and be a respectable person in society. That's what he wanted. <coughs> We've got to make sure people know that when we come alongside other believers and try to encourage them in their walks. We need to make sure they understand that our desire is for their growth, for their maturity. Paul, as we look at him, and as we look at his defense here. 
I don't think we can come away with anything other than the fact that Paul was a true ambassador for Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that's really what I desire to be, just a representative of Jesus Christ. So that when people see me, they see Jesus, and they say, man, you, you have terrible hair, but I want your Jesus. I want your Jesus. That's what I hope people see. That's what I hope people want is the Jesus that I have. Because Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And I hope that through my life as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, that people see that Jesus is enough.